You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This concludes the reading of God's Word. You may, you may be seated. Thank you, Chris. You did a great job with those names, by the way. I warned her. I said, there's some tough names in there. You might want to read the scripture before you get up there. Um, and she, she, she nailed it. So today, God is a God of mathematics all the time. God is a God of mathematics. Did you know that? All through the book of Acts, we see additions to the church in people. Then at one point, we see the church multiply in growth. Then in the chapter before this one, we see the church, get this, actually subtracted from. Ananias and Sapphira sell this, this plot of land and they have this, they have this goal that they're going to they're gonna trick the elders of the church and they're going to they're gonna present a portion of the gift and they're not going to present the entire gift because that would be, then they wouldn't make any money on it. And so they come and they lay the gift down and, 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 and the scripture is very clear. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, they fall over at the altar rail because God, doesn't, God is not going to be teased. God is not going to be playing around with it. Now you would think that what would happen in Jerusalem is, is that when this gets word out there, like if this happened at Faith Church, you came and you gave an offering and you told us that you're giving us the offering of selling your nine acres of ground and you're given every cent that you made and you only gave us 20%. We wouldn't know any different, but God does. And so it got out that so-and-so, and, -so, and I'm, I'm not going to mention any names this morning, so-and-so gave this amount, and they said that they gave one amount, and God killed them right at Faith Church. People literally had to pick them up, carry them out, take them out to the coroner, had to come and pronounce them dead. You would think what would happen is the church would start to um, be less contained, right? Like you would think that that would get out to the community, and the community would say, I don't want to touch that. Like, that's a, that's a bad God. But you know what happens in Acts chapter 6? Chris read for you, the last half of the chapter. It actually multiplies. It gets bigger. Now, this is not in the sermon notes, but I will say this. I believe that's because people are ultimately looking for accountability. They want accountability. They fight it left and right when they get it. But ultimately, people want to know where God stands, and they want to know the line. And when they hear about this in Jerusalem and other places, the church grows because they're like, whoa, that's a God I want to take serious. He drew the line. So all that is just to open us up to some thinking. But here's the one part of math that God doesn't do. Division. Doesn't do it. He's not about dividing people and churches. That's actually part of what Michelle's talking about. 
in her Sunday school class. It's actually Satan's business. And the early church saw some major problems because their priorities got a little flip-flopped. I don't believe there was ill intent in their priorities getting flip-flopped, but it happened. But I do believe there was an issue, and I think we can learn from that issue this morning. Speaking of flip-flopping our, our priorities, here are some funny stories that we can talk about this morning. Haddon Robinson, he's a preaching professor, was a preaching professor, he has since passed away, points out that one old recipe for rabbit started out with this injunction. First, catch the rabbit, says Robinson. The writer knew how to put the first things first. That's what we do when we establish priorities. We put the first things first. Not last, not next to last, the first things first in their proper order. Surprised to see an empty seat at the Super Bowl stadium, a diehard fan remarked about it to a woman sitting nearby. It was my husband's, the woman explained, but he died. I'm very sorry, said the man who was asking about this empty seat, yet I'm really surprised that another relative or friend didn't jump at the chance to take the seat reserved for your husband. She says, beats me. They all instead wanted to go to the funeral. <laughs> You'll get it later. Talk about priorities mixed up. A group of friends went deer hunting and paired off to, in twin twos for the day. Don't trust me, I'm not going to I'm not going to quit my day job. I'm not a comedian, but this is a funny one as well. That night, one of the, one of the hunters returned alone, staggering under an eight-point buck. Where's Harry? They turned and they said, Harry had a stroke some, of some kind. He's a couple miles back up the trail. You left Harry laying there and carried the deer back? Yeah, it was a tough call, nodded the hunter, but I figured no one's going to steal Harry. Priorities. The early church was growing at such a fast pace that their membership had outgrown their ministerial abilities. The church was facing growing problems and people were being neglected. If people are neglected, that gives the devil an opportunity to ease in and stir up and put his foot where it does not belong, and then it becomes an issue. The early church had their priorities, did not at this time, have their priorities in the right place. They had what was, should have been first last, or maybe second to last. Now, one thing that Pastor Landon said in that video and that the scripture says that I want to be very clear on is, is that the deacon and deaconess ministry is not dependent on the size of the church. We can very easily say, well, you know, and, and, and I've heard this throughout the years. Well, we don't have a big enough church to be concerned about this. Do you know the problems that people struggle with? Whew. Some of them are so hard. And for one person to lay that all on their heart and try to walk them through it is impossible. Absolutely impossible to do it well. 
It can be done, and probably some will say, well, I know this one pastor that did a great job. That's great, wonderful. But I could almost guarantee you after seeing this work, someone was neglected. Wasn't given the full care that they deserved. Because he's only one man. He can only do so much. I also want to stop here and give a little warning as well. This is not, this is not Pastor Brett's way of saying, I should be able to sit back, put my legs up, and let Chris and the deacons and deaconesses handle the entire situation. If you hear that coming out of this sermon, then Satan is doing division in your mind, and you should, let him, you should tell him to take a hike. Because that's not my desire. My desire is is that more people would be reached and more people would be helped and more people would be loved by this ministry so that we can all come together in unity and worship the Lord together. This does not make my job any easier. This does not make my job any less. This simply comes alongside of an already person to help. And so I wanted to get those two things right out of the way, right away, because I didn't want to get to the end of the sermon and walk out of here and drive to lunch today and say to Michelle, I forgot to say that. Because I do that from time to time. So let's look at the conflict. This is your first, I believe, your first underlined word, the conflict this morning. Here's what it is in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And, and Chris did read it, but I'm going to read it again. Here's what it says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, up on the screen and in your sermon outline, you will see a word that is um, on the screen. It's on white. And in your sermon outline, I, I don't think I distinguished it in any way, shape, or form other than it's not um, cursive. It is simply just straight font. Um, and that word is where many believe that the deacon and deaconess ministry came out of Acts chapter 6. Because what you will not hear in Acts chapter 6 is you will not hear about deacon and deaconesses. And you say, wait, you're preaching on deacon and deaconesses and you're using the scripture path? No, this is the place that we believe it was born. And so this is the place we believe that, that, the, that the early church started to see, hey, listen, this is, this is a lot for the apostles to take on. And so we want to make sure that the elders have help, that they, that they don't have to take on all of this responsibility. And so what would it look like in 2021, you ask? It would be like this. If, if I go out on a Wednesday, you are in the hospital, and I go out on Wednesday and I visit you. Uh, maybe on Friday, one of our deacon and deaconesses would come to visit you. Um, and, then, and then maybe the next week I would come back again to visit you again. It wouldn't rely on just me going to do the visitations. But notice who started the visitations in my illustration just now. I'm not asking the deacon and deaconesses to be the first on the scene. I'm asking for someone to come alongside, and, and this is what the apostles did. They, they were the, still the first on the scene, I believe, and, and, and ministered very passionately while this went on. 
but they weren't the only ones. And so it didn't all fall on them so that they could have time to present themselves in some things that we'll talk about in just a minute. So this is the word, this is the root word. What you see here is the root word, dekanai. Dekanai is the root word where deacon comes from. It means ministry. It means serving someone else. It means getting your hands dirty with people. And so, again, the word deacon and deaconess will never appear before our eyes today in Acts chapter 6. But this is where we believe it was started. And, I, and when I say we, I, I don't just mean me. I mean PhD people who have looked at this, who have studied this, who have looked at the Greek, believe that this is the start of the deacon ministry in the history of the church. But here's the conflicts. Here's the conflicts, and they're already filled in for you in your sermon outline, but they'll be up on the screen. The number was growing, and they were mixed. And so what that means is, is that they were a mixed group. So here's what, here's what the issue is, and, and this kind of fits in 2021, if you listen to the jargon of the news media. Um, and, 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 and here's what it is. It's a racial issue. Oh, it's a racial issue. You got these Hellenistic Jews, and doesn't that sound bad, Hellenistic Jews? It sounds like they're like heck raisers, <laughs> and, and, and they're not. The Hellenistic Jews are simply Jews who, who are Jew by, by, by belief, but they have Greek origin. They speak Greek. They do everything Greek, and so when they come to the temple, they may, they may not look at the altar the same way the Jews, the true Jews, the Hebraic Jews, look at the altar. And so they have a little bit of an edge to themselves. They're like, well, I'm not hooked into the, to the, to the way that the Jews do it, the Hebraic Jews do it, because I still have my Greek culture. And so they had this edge to it. And then you have the Hebrew Jews who, who man, they're sold out. They're like, they're like, yeah, this is, the, this is the temple and this is our place of worship and we are excited to be here and we will do whatever we have to do. And so it's a, it's a bit of a racial issue going on here. And then you have the apostles somehow giving more attention to, they admit it, giving more attention to the Hebraic Jews than they are to the Hellenistic Jews. And the Hebraic or the Hellenistic Jews catch on to this and they say, wait a second, our widows are being dropped while you minister to, could it be, could it be that you're, you're, you're more, you, you think those that speak in the Jewish language and they follow the rules and do all that are more important than the um, Hellenistic Jews? And the apostles admit to it. They say, you're right. You're right, we missed, we we're missing the mark. In growing, the church now experienced a mixed multitude in their membership. One commentary puts it this way, the Grecian believers were mad because the Jewish believers were being ministered to and they were being neglected. As I said earlier, as we all know, God does not make any difference between the Jew and the Gentile 
But I'm not sure that the early church had fully adapted to this new concept. So there might be a bit of the apostles saying, well, we're going to concentrate on this group. And if this group gets neglected a little bit, that's okay. Might be. I'm not sure it was full ill intent that just said, you know, we're not even going to care about these people. But in their hearts, they did something. See, the 12 apostles begin to meet together after this. And even though this wasn't the whole church complaining and murmuring, it was a whole church issue. Because here's what, here's what they're setting up. Like, listen, this is, this is important for us. Because here's what's going on. This, this, this isn't a whole church issue, yet the apostles are getting together to, to try to figure out the problem. Why are they getting together? Because in some ways, some of us today might say, it's just a couple of people over here. Why would we have a whole church meeting about a couple of people? Because one little fire can spread into a, a forest fire. you got people griping over here. If you don't handle that griping, it could be turned into a forest fire, and before you know it, the entire church is up on flames, and we don't have a church. And so the apostles are setting a standard here that says, listen, there's an issue here that we see that we must deal with. And it doesn't matter if it's 10 people. It doesn't matter if it's five people. It doesn't matter if it's 30 people. It doesn't matter if it's 50% or more. We must handle it. Because if we just let it go, it's going to fester. And when it festers, it's going to be like our fire pit in our backyard where you know, you think you put the flames out, you look out 20 minutes later and the, the thing's roaring to the fire because you know what? There were little embers underneath there that just kept that fire going and before you know it, boom! We got a fire again. We got to go out there with the buckets and dump it on and make sure it's totally and completely out. And so people will sometimes say to me, why do you take these things so personally? Why do you take this stuff so this is why, friends. In Acts chapter 6, it says a little fire it could, have, could have destroyed the entire work that the apostles were working to build. Just one little thing. And so they pull themselves together and they say, listen, in the congregation, we have this issue. We need to solve this issue. And they had to answer a question. Was it worth their time and effort to solve the issue or wasn't it? Now you don't read about this in Scripture. And we have to be very careful about adding to Scripture. Because God is very clear in His Word. When you add to Scripture, you are a dangerous situation. But I believe the apostles have to look at each other. And much like maybe Pastor Landon and I do in a staff meeting. And we have to say, hey, we got this little issue going on. Do we want to handle this or not? Do we want to ignore it and let it go away? Or do we want to handle it or not? I think the apostles had the same kind of meeting. And I got commentaries that back me up on that. I think the commentaries say, or that, that the apostles are looking at each other saying, okay, there's this little group that's saying this. Are we going to deal with this or are we not? Are we going to just let it go? Because if we let it go, it could become a big flames. But we might just want to let it go. 
But in verse 2, which will be on the screen now, we see that they meet. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, a lot of us read that and say, Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here's the out for pastors. They should just study the word and pray and not wait on table. No, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is it would not be right to neglect one to do the other. It's not saying that they would not wait on tables. It's not saying that they're above picking up a table and moving it at an outreach. It's not saying any of that. What it's saying is, it would not be right for me to be moving tables at an outreach when the Word of God needs to be studied at that moment. So in other words, it is not right for me to show up on a Sunday morning not prepared, not reading Scripture all week, not studying the commentary, because after all, I had 20,000 visits this week. It's okay, I should just skip it. No, that's not okay. In fact, what he's saying is that's, that, that is definitely not okay. What he's not saying is, and, and this is where people get their heads tied around, and, and I've heard it from congregation members, I've heard it from other pastors. Well, this means we don't have to lift a finger, man. We can just go stay in our office, close the door, lock it, and just meditate on the word all day long and pray. No. No, what it's saying is, is that you shouldn't neglect one to do the other. And why is that important? Um, because your spirituality matters, folks. Because where you go after you die matters. And because whether you're getting truth or not from this pulpit matters. That's why it matters. I could do the whole mail-in thing. I could do that. You do realize there are companies that do that where they send the pastor the sermon for the next Sunday and you just kind of preach whatever they give you. Oh, I could do that in a heartbeat and save myself a ton of time. And I could also be preaching you very wrong sermons every Sunday. And I find an issue with that. That's what he's talking about here, Luke, in the book of Acts. I want you to notice something right off the top in this scripture passage. It may have only been a problem for the Hellenistic Jews, but it is an issue for the entire congregation to solve. This wasn't, oh, well, it's just a small group of people. I kind of said that already. There is an issue here that the apostles see the importance of prayer and sharing word, and that if they continue to do these things over here, their priorities would get out of whack and there would be bigger issues. See, that's what... And you may not see those bigger issues. That's what's so hard to explain to people. Like, you may not see the bigger issues because you might see me on Sunday morning and say, well, that was a pretty good sermon. Or that stank okay either one but you may have missed something because you see there's this whole other realm that we don't see 
And if I'm not dealing with that realm that we don't see, I'm putting you in a very dangerous position. I fight for this service every week. All you have to do is ask the pastoral intern. He gets tired of me. I know he does. He tells me. He doesn't tell me he's tired of me coming into his office. But he says to me, Pastor Brett, you put a lot of weight on Sunday mornings. Because I believe there is enemies out there. I believe you all had to fight demons to get here this morning. You can say I'm full of whatever. That's fine. I've been called full of a lot of things. But I believe that every morning, that's why some people get up and they say, we're heading off to church. And some people get up and they say, we're staying home. I believe Satan is at work every Sunday morning. I believe he's at work on Saturday nights. That's why one of the things I've started to do is be in here on this stage praying every Saturday night. That people that are making decisions for the next morning will make what I think is the right decision according to Hebrews chapter 10 that says do not neglect the meeting together of people and encouraging the good that can come out of that. And then, and then Paul, who I believe wrote a Hebrews, others don't believe that, but that's what I believe, ends it with even more as the day approaches. What's he talking about? The return of Christ. So go back to last week. Is the return of Christ pretty close? I believe so. What did we read in Matthew last week? You will hear of rumors of wars. Hmm. You will hear of earthquakes and famines. When the time, the birth pains have begun. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be real with you this morning, and, and it may catch you somewhat off guard, but friends, there will be plenty who will give up on this. They'll just stop coming. And they're going to blame COVID, and they're going to blame everything under the sun. It's because it's just not important. I feel bad. I feel bad. The apostles see the importance of prayer and sharing the word. What if they continued to do these things and got their priorities all out of whack? They left Harry lay back there so Harry wasn't stolen. It's a funny story, but it's a reality of what we do sometimes. Pray? Why would we pray? Isn't God going to do what God's going to do? No, I think Scripture gives us some pretty clear indication that God listens to his people when they pray. Why would we put the word at the front of the thing? Isn't it supposed to be culture tells us how to preach this word? It's powerful. But here's the solution. The solution is, is banked on the integrity of the workers. And here's what, here's what Acts chapter 6, verse 3 says. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn these responsibilities over to them. 
Now, automatically, you're going to read that seven men and you say, but you say deacon and deaconesses. This says seven men. What's the story here, pastor? Because there is belief that there is, there is in other scripture passages where certain people such as the name Dorcas rings a bell. That's actually my grandmother's name. God rest her soul. Um, and they were a deacon or at least peers that they were a deacon. So we take this as a deacon and deaconess situation. But here's the reminder of what we're looking for. What we are looking for are people who can take care of the widows. People who can take care of the widows. I want to remind you of what, what is being said in Scripture here. See, I think we, and, and, and I've done this, and I've had conversations with people about this, and, and, I, and, and so I, I want to be clear on this. I think sometimes we swing the pendulum one side or the other. And, and here's, how, here's how it plays out in my conversations when I, when I talk sometimes. I'll say to Michelle, you know, we really need younger families. It would be nice for for Serenity and Freddie to have some, some cool friends to come to church with. But does that mean we neglect those who aren't? No, see, where I've wrestled with is, is I want to be, be in the middle somewhere. I want to be reaching people I want to be reaching people. And let God take care of what age those people are. Because here's what God asks us to do. What does he say is pure religion? It's to take care of orphans and widows. And so when we focus so much on one group and say that to the extent of not doing another group, we, we, we have to be careful. And, and I do it sometimes. I get caught up in the game. I'm like, you know, I, I really wish we could do this or we could do that. And this will bring in these people. And God says he forgot to love the world. And so the deacons here are, are concerned because you know, and, 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 and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've literally heard from people. You know, you hear things as pastor. From other ministries. Where people will come to Faith Church and they will literally say to me, I'm very thankful that you came to visit and talk to me. Because I'm not of the right age for my previous church. They just kind of dropped me because I'm over the age of 60. They didn't care to minister to me because they want this people. Hmm. I want to be very careful and caring about that. And make sure that we are about reaching people. But here's, here's what the requirements of these people are. They need to be full of spirit and wisdom. It says it right there. 
who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. <clears throat> now, in other words, these people should not get caught up in the little picture and miss the big picture, is what this is saying, literally. When you're full of spirit, you're able to see that outer realm. That realm that you are not, that we are not living in. And so what you can do when you're full of spirit, according to what the commentaries are saying in this scripture passage is, you can, you can literally see it for what it is. So when, I, when we come upon a situation, what these people can do, and Stephen is great at it, and you can actually see Stephen do this in some situations. Stephen can actually, the, one of the guys that is mentioned in the scripture passage, Stephen can actually come into a situation and see this isn't of God. This is of the world. And so I'm not going to spend my time as a deacon in the church dealing with this that is of the world when I need to be focused on what is of God. Do you see? That's the full of the spirit that he's talking about. And wisdom, wisdom, we think wisdom is, I got to know this, this, this thing inside and out. I got to be able to do the sword drills. I got to be able to figure out where the books of the Bible are very fastly. Actually, wisdom is not even close to that, according to what this scripture passage is. You know what they're talking about when they say wisdom? It should be someone who's able to take the funds that are raised. So in other words, we have a pastoral discretionary fund here at Faith Church. A deacon should be someone who can take those funds and say, this is a good situation to spend it in. This is not a good situation to spend it in. It actually has nothing to do with scripture. It's how do they use the funds to help people. It's the age-old question. You know, we've all been burned in this situation. I remember being in Dover, Pennsylvania. The senior pastor was out for, uh, in Pittsburgh with his wife's family. And, and we got this phone call from this, this other church. Actually, we got a phone call from a gentleman first. And he said to us, I need $5,000. No, it was like $2,000 to pay for my mortgage or I'm going to lose my house tomorrow. Now, first of all, that should have brought up red flags, but I'm young I didn't know any different. I was renting a house at the time. And so I was like, hey, you know, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get the deacons together and we'll figure this out. And so I called the head deacon and the head deacon's like, oh yeah, I'll come over. We'll write a check. We'll, we'll help this dude out. And this will be great. Five minutes later, the phone rings and it's the pastor of the Lutheran church that's right down the road from our church. And he says, uh, hey, did you get a phone call from a, I'm not going to mention a name. I said, yeah. He goes, um, I don't want to pry into your business, but I wouldn't give him a cent. I said, why? He said, I just got off the phone with the Baptist. This sounds like a bad joke, but this is true. I got off the phone with the Baptist, the United Methodist, the UCC pastor, and somebody else, and we've given him over $10,000. And he's still calling for help. And so Jeff came. Well, wasn't going to say his name, came to the office. And me and my deacon were standing there, the head deacon of the church, and I said, I'm sorry, sir. But you see, that's wisdom. Thank God that pastor decided to call. Or we would have been scammed too. And so we've all been scammed, right? 
We've all been told of a need, and then we find out it's not really a need. And so here's what it, here's what it can tend to do after 25 years of ministry. It can tend to say, I'm going to shut down the funds. I can't trust anyone. And I hear that sometimes in the church. We shouldn't give a cent. We can't trust people that come off the road. We can't trust people that, you, you know, who knows what they're doing out there, Pastor. But here's my heart, and here's what a heart of a deacon is. If they come out of here and they've ripped us off, whose problem is it? It's not mine. They got a problem with him. They've ripped the church off. And so there's this change of attitude that wisdom brings when you're a deacon. You're able to say, hey, listen, if... If this person takes this out and spends it on all the wrong things, it's not on me because God knows what my heart was when I handed it to them. It's also why we put very safe, and, and I want the congregation to know this because it's your, it's, your, it's your money. Well, it's your money that God gave you. Uh, we have very strict roles. We do not write personal checks to personal people. You come in for an electric bill, we're going to write it to the electric company. We're not going to write it to you and then trust that you're going to write it to the electric company. No, it's going straight to the electric company. We don't just hand out cash. You want gas? I will drive down to Giant and I will fill your gas tank up. I will not give you money and say, go down to Giant and get gas. It's safety. It's wisdom. And these are the examples. I'm giving you examples of how we use this wisdom. It's a practical wisdom to know how of using charitable funds in a way that is God-honoring and a way that spreads the good news throughout the city. This would free up the apostles to spend their time in their very important callings for preaching the word and prayer. Look at verse 4 with me just quickly here. And we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. A pattern is set here. It's probably why some churches are caught in a funk of non-growth and not sure why they are there. They're missing some of the most crucial points of the church. Now, automatically in your mind, some of you probably say, here we go. We do the work. Pastor doesn't. Never does it say that. So, we both do our desired calling and do it well for the Lord. That's what scripture says here. Does that mean I should never make a visit? As I said earlier, it does not. On the same token, does that mean a visit from a congregation member is somehow less important than a visit from me? No. We're going to be handing out new bylaws shortly. It was supposed to be a couple weeks ago. We held off on that because of the whole meltdown at the church office and in those bylaws it's going to clearly state that a visit from a deacon and deaconess team is a visit from the staff of faith church some are going to want to fight that fight with scripture it's a visit from them i have no red phone that i pull out of my pocket when i'm in with you and say god it's me direct line here i'm asking for so and so People who are full of wisdom and prayer and compassion can do just as good of a job, if not a better job, than me. 
It's going to be just one of the changes to the bylaws. It's got to be that way for the sake of, the, of getting ministry done. Again, not ignoring staff doing the visits. I want to work together. That's my major push here, to see others take an interest in loving one another and truthfully ministering to one another in the name of the Lord. So then in verses 5 and 6, this is where the rubber meets the road. Here's where it says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip, Procarius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. I didn't do good as Chris did, but I did it. A convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Here's what the deal is, friends. They didn't just talk about it in a committee meeting. They did it. They put the rubber to the road, and they said, we're going to go after this. And I want you to notice something. It's a small miracle in, the, in, this, in this scripture passage, and we miss it. And I've missed it until I was reading one book about this scripture passage, and it brought it up. There's this huge miracle that actually happens. Look what it says in the very first sentence. The whole group was pleased with the proposal. That means the thousands. Remember, the church has grown at this moment. The thousands that are sitting there listening to the apostles say, here's what we're doing. We're choosing these seven men. They're going to go and do this so that the apostles can give their time to their preaching of the word, to prayer, all of this, and they're going to give themselves to this. And so here's what it is. And they had a congregational meeting and every single person said, sure. That's a miracle. But it's no big deal for God because God knew what it needed to happen. He put it into their hands. These seven names for us here, I want you to understand, are, are called to heed the call. They're called to do the job of deacons and deaconesses. And you know what they all were? Hellenistic Jews. Why is that? Because people who have been through the struggles are usually the best to do the caring. I cannot relate to someone who might have had, God forbid, cancer. Now put me in a room with somebody who has had a heart valve surgery. And me and him can have a conversation. You know, this is going on right now, and we didn't even start the deacon and deaconess ministry. And I didn't get permission from these people that I'm about to mention. But I think they're two very forgiving people, and they'll, they'll be okay with me mentioning this today. And if not, I'll take them out for lunch and hopefully make it right. You know, June and Moyer and Peggy Swinehart are going out right now and visiting with people who have lost loved ones. 
who like themselves have buried their significant other. See, June and Peggy didn't get together and have a committee meeting and just talk about it. They went and did it. They said, no, we're not going to fool around. We're going to just go and do it because we have this hurt and we know what they're going through and we can understand them more deeper than most people can understand them, especially since our pasts are very similar. They're going out there and they're touching hearts and they're no less or more important than anyone else. I want you to hear that. Doing the same things. A visit from June and Peggy for some of these people is no different than a visit from me. Because it encourages their hearts. That, my friends, is the early Christianity at work. It's not just talking, it's doing. And look what happens when the early church gets their priorities straight. God gets the glory, not people. This is the next point. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That leads us to another question, and here it is on the screen. Why did the word of God spread? The answer to that question is because the community was more at peace. Here's the real kicker of that. Division, the thing that God doesn't do with mathematics, was now gone. And because division was gone, the focus could now be on loving one another. It wasn't on this spat and that spat. It was on focusing on loving our brothers and our sisters. As long as division existed, that church was going nowhere. I know I'm being very passionate right now because I want you to understand it. As long as they focused on this issue and that issue and this issue and that issue and they did not focus on the fact that they are all fallen sinners who just so desperately need the grace of Jesus Christ in their lives, the word of God stayed right where it was and the church did not grow. It didn't. And I wonder sometimes, are we there? But I don't like this and I don't like that and we spend all of our time discussing these things instead of looking at each other and understanding you know what you might have a different personality than me but you're a fallen brother just like me and you need the same amount of grace that I need and so I'm going to love on you despite the fact that we may not agree on a lot of things and we wonder why the numbers don't seem to match why the gospel has seemingly stopped being spread. Why we have to pull teeth to get people to come to church. Could it be this issue? That we're so focused on getting our way that we miss the mark. Listen to what the scripture says. Even the priests came to know him through the preached word of God. 
Here's what's going on there in that scripture. But I, that, that blew my mind. That's like reading in today's world, like if, if, if Acts chapter 6 was written today, pastors in this community came to know God. Wait a second. What? 8,000 or so Jewish priests lived in Palestine at this time who received very little help from, these are the words used in the commentary, the temple cult, and were left to fight for themselves. And even they turned their lives over to Jesus Christ. People who didn't believe in the Messiah turned their lives to Jesus Christ when people started loving on one another through the deaconess ministry and stopped getting so focused on what was wrong and started focusing on what was right. Whew. And priests who taught and who were students of the word, at least the Old Testament, fell on their knees and said, I need Jesus Christ. In his commentary, Expositor's Bible Commentary, Richard Longnecker gives some application. On your sermon outline in your bulletins, I have the actual page number. So if you look this commentary up, you can see I didn't make this up. The first church saw praying and sharing the word and meeting the needs of people as varying aspects of one total ministry. Here's what the point is. What we have done is we have separated the two. We have said, Pastor, if you're not doing this, then you're not doing your job. And we've said, Deacons, if you're not doing this, then you're not doing your job. What the early church saw was the deacons and the pastor and the elders, they work together. So it's one total ministry to whose honor? Jesus Christ's honor. We don't do that in the American church. We split it up. And what does it do? It damages us. Puts us at an odds. Because, well, if he would do his job, then this would happen. If she would do her job, this would happen. And you notice how the fingers just all over the place. Instead of saying, if we would all do our job, this would take place. Whew. In other words, one wasn't shamed for doing what the other was doing and vice versa. Second, the early church shows us Longenfelder, or however you say his name, said the early church shows us that they were ready to meet the needs to reach a whole generation of people. Luke's narrative here suggests that to be fully biblical is to be engaged in adapting traditional methods to meet existing situations. This needs to happen for two reasons, for the welfare of our church and for the spread of the gospel message. In other words, what I'm saying here, friends, and Longenecker brought it up in his commentary, is this. What we're presenting to you this year is desperately needed. I can't say it any more straightforward. If you even have an inkling, and I know you do, so I'm just going to say that right off the bat, to care to see your grandchildren and other people reached by this place called Faith Church, you want this to happen. got to. 
If you think we're going to do it the way we did it in 1960 and get the response that we got in 1960, you are sadly mistaken. It's not biblical. I can't put it to you any more straight. We are in desperate times and it calls for desperate measures. Number three in, the, in this application, Longenecker says, Luke's account suggests certain restraining attitudes that could well be incorporated into church, churchmanship. And this first one I already talked about, in refusing to be involved in blaming others when things have gone wrong in the past. I can't, I can't tell you how many times we've had an outreach and something hasn't gone right. And this was early on in my years of ministry and people would come up and say, man, that was a failure, wasn't it, Pastor? You really didn't do a good job. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait one second. It's not my job to do the outreach. Wow. And this was early on. I heard it more and more. Again, early on in my ministry, so I'm talking about even before we knew each other. Instead, focusing our energies on correcting injustices, prayer, and proclamation of the word. Refusing to become overprotective in solving problems. This is for me more than anybody else in this room today. Sometimes, most times, the people who feel it the most are the best qualified to serve the issue. I got this issue that I am a control freak sometimes. I'm going to admit it to you. It's like an AA meeting. Hi, I'm Brett Kendig, and I'm a control freak. <laughs> and so sometimes when we start these deacon and deaconess ministry discussions and we start evangelism discussions, I kind of want it my way. I want it to be done in my direction. Here's the problem. <laughs> my direction may be wrong. <sighs> Here's the problem. June and Peggy and Chris and others have a whole load of more compassion than I ever will. Now you say, well, that's a problem. No, it's not a problem. I'm being very real with you. It's not an issue because that's what they're called to do. Sometimes they can go into rooms and I've watched this happen. You know, someone has a jam toe or whatever you know something very small a jam toe they go into a hospital room they're like crying with them and, I, and i'm not making fun of them they're, they're like crying with them praying with them barb does the same sometimes you know they're they're down on their knees with them and saying i know your toe hurts and it's so bad and i want to pray with you and read scripture with you and i'm sitting there going dude it's a toe like get up and walk man And people say sometimes, you know, oh, you as a pastor, you should have more compassion in that situation. No, listen. No, listen. That's what they're called to do. That's a part of the body. So if I sit in there and say, don't do that because I don't do that, guess what I'm doing? I'm killing the body. I'm telling a foot, get the heck out of the room. I'm telling a hand who is ministering to someone, cut yourself off and throw it in the trash can. I'm telling a mouth who's talking to someone the words of love and peace to shut their mouths. That's wrong. 
And we do it all the time. No, that's not the way I would have done it. So therefore, it's not the right way. No, that's not true. That's being overprotective of the situation. And what you're doing is you're basically, if, it's, if these plants were actually living plants, they're not. But what you're doing is you, you're, you're smashing them down. You're saying, Chris Marks, and I can pick on Chris because I can apologize tomorrow very easily. Um, Chris Marks, you will not grow. You will not grow because I, will, I refuse to let you minister to someone with a broken toe the way you minister to them. And it's done the other way. Pastor Brett, I can't believe you did it that way. If I was the pastor of this church, I would do it this way. Well, okay. But you're not. And I have gifts and graces that you don't have, and you have gifts and graces that we don't have, and the whole point of this sermon is, is that we better start using them. Or we're going to miss the mark. Deacon and deaconess ministry is about being the church. It can be rather comical when the primary things are made secondary. Victor Borge told about a couple going on vacation, standing in line, waiting in the checkout bags at the airline counter. This is a hilarious story about being mixed up. The husband... Okay, uh, my time's up. The husband said, yes, I know, but the tickets... Um, oh, excuse me. I, that messed me up. The husband said to the wife, I wish we had brought the piano. The wife said, why? We got 16 bags going on vacation already. Why would we bring the piano? The husband said, yes, I know we have 16 bags, but the tickets, they're on the piano. First things first, Faith Church. We must take a long, hard look in the mirror and see what we're doing in our walk with each other. The deacon and deaconess ministry is a great place to start that adventure because if our priorities aren't straight, it doesn't matter what is tried and done. It will not, and I repeat, will not change a thing. It's proven in Acts chapter 6. If they don't take this serious and they just go on with doing what they've always done and expect it to turn out differently, we're not looking at this as a good example. We're looking at it as a poor example. Now's when I'm going to get a little personal. We need you. I realize there are some in this room that are on the verge of what do we do here? I need you. If we're going to reach this community in Muhlenberg and reach the high school and reach the kids and reach the older people in the community and reach all those people, it will not be done because I stand in this pulpit every Sunday and give you my heart. It will only be done when you take the rubber to the road. I need you. I have come to that conclusion after weeks of prayers. Pastor Landon has been on the phone with Muhlenberg School District, and I know I shouldn't be saying this over live stream, but I will several times about a Bible club so we can get inside the door 
They seem to be giving us the old hi-ho. Get out of our face. If you are on the verge of what do we do here? Where do we go? What do we do? I am pleading with you to make the commitment to be a part of this place because we're going somewhere when we get this together. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to pray about it with all your might because I have a desire to see Muhlenberg changed. I went to the school board meeting. I don't know why, but I did last Wednesday. And I sat and I watched and I learned. And it was a beautiful thing. The meeting wasn't so beautiful. No offense, Tom, but the meeting wasn't so beautiful. But it was a beautiful thing to sit and hear my community members give their feelings and their thoughts. And I was reclaimed. And I came home from that meeting and I said to myself and I said to my wife, man, this Muhlenberg, man, this place needs Jesus. But here's my question. When am I and when are you going to give it to them? Do it. Please don't sit here every Sunday and listen to all these ministries and say, I've tried that before. I wasn't this and I wasn't that. You know what? That's the past, folks. I'm pleading with you. Now's the time. This world, this country needs this gospel like never before. I'm asking you, would you join the fight? Would you become a part of one of these ministries? And, and, you know, I just want you to sit back and listen to every message during this process. And then at the end of the messages, sometime in the end of October, we're going to ask you, what ministries do you think you would be a part of if you had a choice? Because here's what I don't want to happen. And I'm very scared it's going to happen. We're going to get to the third Sunday in November. We're going to vote in a set of bylaws and nothing's going to change. Nothing. And I can't have that. I can't. I can't do it again. It's got to. We've got to come together. I sat out here at this barbecue and talked to two, three, four people who are, you know, kind of in a church, not in a church. And I just listened to their hearts. Man, people need it. They need a place where when they walk in, they're cared for and they're loved on. We could be that place. If I've heard it once, and it's a strength here, I don't want to leave you thinking that we are all weakness. If I've heard it once, I've heard it twice. People walk out this door after their first visit and say, well, I got to tell you something, Pastor. I was really welcomed here today, and I'm thankful for it. Because I've been over here, and I've been over there, and I wasn't so welcomed. That's a good thing. But it can't stop there. There's a gospel to be preached, a life to be changed, 
and you can be a part of an exciting time. You know what I look like, what I look at 2022 as? This is almost like Faith Church is going to become a church plant. A new way of doing things. An exciting way. A new way of looking at it. That's what I'm looking forward to. But you see, I can't do it alone. I just can't. I've tried. And if I'm very honest with you, the first four years here, I tried a little too hard. I'm throwing away towel. I'm saying, I need you. I need you to step up to the plate. I need you to be a deacon, a deaconess. I need you to be on the fellowship commission. I need you to be sell fellowship team. I need you to be on the evangelism team. I need you to be on something. And to get involved. Because I believe this neighborhood will be turned upside down for Jesus when it happens. And I can't wait to see it. So why am I so passionate? Why am I actually sweating up here today? <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. Because I'm leaving it all on the line for this sermon series. You will get your pastor's heart during this sermon series. You may not like everything I have to say, and you may take offense to some things, but please understand, everything that is said is said in love. I wouldn't be here if I don't love people and want the best for each and every one of you spiritually. There's plenty of other things that can be done but I see this place being a place of change. And I hope you will respond in the like so. And the Deacon and Deaconess ministry is all about basically doing what our closing hymn in just a minute will be about. You don't have to come, praise team, just yet. It's about loving one another. See, it's a beautiful thing what Jesus says to his disciples in John 13. And you know, you've heard this before, and I'm going to say it as the ending of this sermon, but... He doesn't say people will come to your church because they know what you believe. He doesn't say they will come into your church because they know what you don't believe. He doesn't say they will come to your church because of what belief you have about a certain issue in the political field. No, what he says is, is that people will stand up and take notice that you are a Christian when you actually care about the person who's sitting next to you right now. When you actually love on people so deeply and so passionately. Because you want to know what I heard in voices yesterday from a lot of people? They just want to be loved. They just want to know, hey man, you, you know, do you care about me? I mean, really care about me? I hope we can do it. I think we can, but I've also been down this road before. I can present the plan. I can put the vision out there, but I can't make anybody get on the horse and ride it with me. Only God can do that. And so I'm asking you to ask God, where do I fit in on this plan? Where do I fit in on this plan? And then do it. Do it.
And you know who will be your biggest cheerleader? Me. And it may mean that I don't even get to be a part of it. I can simply say, here it is. Praise the Lord. So-and-so is doing it. I got to sit at a chicken barbecue yesterday because Andy Becker took it on with a whole lot of help. Praise the Lord. I got to go in a dunk tank yesterday because our pastor intern ordered that dunk tank and took care of all of that. Praise the Lord. Those are the things that I love to see. I come home from yesterday in tears. This is the body of Christ. This is what's important. May we strive to be the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Deacon and Deaconess ministry. We thank you for the story in Acts chapter 6 where this division threatened to take over the church. But you brought a greater plan because you are over division. You don't even deal with division. You just kind of bring another plan that brings multiplication and addition and just forget that the division was even there. I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad you don't play games with the division, but you, you take care of that division. And Lord, I ask that each and every person that's either watching us online right now or sitting in this sanctuary this morning or on this stage, that we would all take inventory. Where is it that we could plug in? Where is it that we are feeling a desire and a gifting that could make a difference? Help me, Lord, to be the biggest cheerleader that I can be. Help our ministry council to put people in the places where they need to be and that they should be. Help us all to drive towards unity. Yes, that does not mean that we will always agree. But we do agree on Jesus. Help us to do that. And Lord, we will be careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise as Faith Church drives forward into a future of unknowns. But that future is held by someone that we know so very well. You. Thank you, Lord, for those who are doing deacon work. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to now put this team together and watch and see what fruit will come from it. And instead of pointing at each other, being able to say, let's just point to the sky. <laughs> Praise Jesus for what he's doing. Thank you, Lord, for it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 